Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. talking uh, about fire for a long time now. <laughs> this is the ninth week. This is, we are now in uh, the territory of the longest sermon series that I have ever crafted and preached, and I still have like three more to go. So just know that if you feel like, man, I'm sick of hearing this guy talk about fire, I'm, talk, I'm sick of writing about it, all right? But this is what I wrote down long ago, and so this is what we put into practice. But Nine whole weeks of talking about fire, and I haven't actually talked yet about the most critical piece of fire building material yet. You know, it's pretty common for fires to start and to even spread quite quickly. But you know, what is it that keeps a fire from burning out? What's the most essential element to keeping a fire going or burning it's the fuel which air is part of by the way (laughs) see by nature fire consumes and when it's consumed everything that it can it eventually naturally fizzles out and dies So in order for a fire to continue to burn, it has got to be constantly fed new fuel, like wood, right? But the church, both in Acts and even now in our present day, experiences this same type of reality. While the church doesn't actually physically consume us, in order for a church to continue to grow and spread its influence... New fuel needs to be added to it, and regularly. And that new fuel can take a number of different forms, but the very basic type of fuel that a church needs is human beings. Because we can have programs and service projects and committees and committees to determine who's going to be on committees, right? But if we don't have people that it's just not going to be any church. And so this is where we find ourselves today in our journey through the book of Acts. As you may well know, this sermon series is called How to Start a Fire, and we're looking at all of the elements that were present in the early church as described in the book of Acts that allowed it to spread across the known world like a wildfire. What we have to understand, though, is that the mission of God in the world began a long, long, long time before the events that take place in the book of Acts. So the short version of it is this. It begins way back in the book of Genesis. Unlike page three of the Bible, 
things in our world start to go badly. Sin enters the world and really breaks all of the major relationships that God created human beings to live and thrive in. Particularly, the relationship between humans and God is broken and the relationship between humans and one another is also broken. And the consequence of that is that the world descends into violence and idolatry. People begin to worship other gods, and they begin to worship power, power that they gain by exerting violence over one another. And God sees all this and is like, this is not what I created these people for. This is not what this world is meant to be like. And so what God does is he he calls a man named Abraham from among the nations, actually from the nation of Babylon, and tells him, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Now through your descendants, this nation all of the world is going to eventually be blessed. All of the world is going to be set right. And Abraham's family becomes the nation of Israel, whose purpose was to bear the message of the one true God. And that God's desire for the world and how human beings could live in in a different way, in a way that reversed the broken relationships in our world. But you know, Israel's just like you and me, not very good at following directions. (laughs) And so Israel slipped into idolatry and eventually turned to violence towards one another in a civil war, violence towards the neighboring nations that they were called to be witnesses of God's love to. And they end up chaining themselves to the very same gods that they were supposed to liberate the world from. And the end result was that the mission of God through Israel seemed to have failed. Israel had become the subject of Gentile, which just means non-Jewish nations, rather than being a beacon of hope to the world around them. But then when it all seemed lost, the most incredible thing happened. Through the lineage of Abraham, a child was born, the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth would grow up and reinvigorate the fire that had been beginning to fizzle out in Israel. Israel had moved into survival mode, and and Jesus came to put new fuel on this fire and to reinvigorate the mission of God in the world. See, after Jesus' death and resurrection and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the church was born and the fire began to spread. First in the city of Jerusalem and then outwards to Judea and Samaria, which were the original land territories of the nation of Israel. But like any good fire, this fire, needed more and more fuel if it was going to continue to burn and spread. 
And so the message of the gospel had spread to all of the descendants of Abraham. But it was time for the second part of God's promise to Abraham to finally come to fruition. It was time for God to bless the entire world through the family of Abraham. And the person who would carry that blessing at first would be the Apostle Peter. And so this is the story of how the community of Jesus went from being a Jewish sect to being fully opened to the rest of the world. Consequently, this is how the community of Jesus became something that you and I were eventually invited to be a part of. So this is Acts chapter 10. It says, in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian court, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household, and he gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. So here's the cool thing. Cornelius, he's a man who's got it all. He's living the Roman dream, right? He has got power. He's got troops. He's got money. He's got servants. He's got what every plebe in the Roman Empire dreamed of having someday. But Cornelius knows that despite all of his material success, that there's got to be something more. See, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman citizen. He is not Jewish. But he worships Israel's God. He's not converted to Judaism because that's a long process that involved following a lot of different rules. But he respects the God and the religion of Israel, and he even financially supports it. And so God comes to him and says, like, hey, Cornelius, I know you. I see you. Send for Peter in Joppa. And this is what's going on in Joppa at the same time. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill 
and eat. Now Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. But the voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And this happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up into heaven. So we find that Peter has a vision as well. And what the vision means is that all of these things that have been previously used as a means of separating Jewish folks from non-Jewish people, primarily different types of food, there's a lot of laws about what types of four-footed animals Jewish people weren't allowed to eat, what types of reptiles and and birds of the air. These things separated Jews from non-Jews. And what God is saying is that these things are no longer a barrier between people. The food isn't unclean anymore. And because the food isn't unclean, neither are the people who eat it. And this is an incredibly important point. And this is the the truth that changes everything. And so the story goes on. It says, now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. And they were asking for Simon's house, and they were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who's called Peter, was staying here. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit came to him and said, look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and he went with them, and some of the believers in Joppa accompanied him. So what happens here is that the heart of Peter is beginning to change. Because even inviting these Gentile folks to come in and to stay with him is a pretty profound step towards healing this rift that has existed between Jews and Gentiles for basically their entire history. And then Peter goes a step further the next day, goes to Cornelius's house, and the two of them sit down and they share their respective visions with one another. And they realize that the same God has spoken to both of them and has prepared them for this moment when they would meet. And so Peter does something radical, and he joins Cornelius and his family and friends for a meal, a meal that undoubtedly involved eating some of those foods that had previously been called unclean. And at this dinner party, Peter offers a message to Cornelius and his Gentile friends. 
He says to them, God shows no partiality. He says, every nation is loved by God and Jesus Christ is Lord of all those nations. And this Jesus died on a cross and was raised on the third day so that everyone, regardless of their nation, who believes in him will receive forgiveness. And while Peter is talking, the the final stage of the gospel expansion program begins. It says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. And so with the coming of the Holy Spirit on these Gentiles and and God's definitive declaration to Peter that they're no longer considered unclean or profane, the universal application of the gospel is realized. God's plan to bless the world through the family of Abraham is finally at its culmination. The work of spreading the fire of Jesus's community to the ends of the earth can now begin to take place. And this is a mission that, although begun by the Apostle Peter, will be completed through the work of the Apostle Paul. New fuel has been added to the fire, an almost endless supply has been offered. And all that needed to happen was for Peter, and along with him, a few chapters later, all of the rest of the apostles back in Jerusalem had to have their hearts rearranged by the action of God. They needed to be given a new set of glasses by which to see the people around them. They needed to be given permission to truly love their neighbors as themselves by introducing them to the God who created them and desperately wants to bring them into his community. Finally, God's mission is unleashed on the whole world. So how this truth applies to us as 21st century Americans isn't a terribly hard stretch of our imaginations, but, you know, for the sake of just saying the darn thing, we should connect the dots, right? I think that the lesson here is actually twofold. First, we've got to see how this idea of adding fuel to the fire affects us all on a personal level. Because, let's face it, we all need to keep the fire of the Christian life burning inside of us. You see, no matter where we are on our Christian journey, if we're like Cornelius at the very beginning, or like Peter, pretty well entrenched in it, we always need to be adding fuel. It may look different for each of us, but the truth is that if you're not moving forward, 
you're likely moving backwards. There's not a whole lot of room for being stagnant in your spiritual life. The fuel for the Christian life really comes from our ability to hear from and commune with God. And so while Peter and Cornelius had the wonderful experience of receiving visions directly from God, the reality is that chances are that's not going to be the way that you experience God. It's not impossible. It's not unheard of. Just not likely. But we do, just us common folk, have ways of hearing from God. And so I think that the mark of a healthy Christian life then can be very simply evaluated by whether or not you engage in the two most prominent means of hearing from God. Do you read Scripture, God's revelation of himself and of his his will for your life in this world, handed to us? And do you pray? Do you utilize the most accessible means of talking to and communing with and sometimes even hearing from God? You know, certainly there are other means of communing with God, but if you aren't reading Scripture or praying, how can you possibly think that God is going to reveal anything new to you? Because that's what God came to Peter to do. Reveal something new. And if God isn't revealing anything new to you, then you aren't going to really be able to dive into the second part of this lesson. Because this is all meant to help us live into the calling to fuel the fire of the church. And we fuel the fire of the church with human beings, souls, warm bodies that turn into warm hearts, warm hearts that turn into Christian hearts, and Christian hearts that turn into hearts that reach out and transform the world by, you got it, fueling the fire with new human beings that begin the process all over again. It's called discipleship. And the beautiful, scary, wonderful, messy part is that there is no barrier around who those human beings can and should be. God tells us what God told Peter. What God has called clean, you must not call profane. And there's a lot of people in this world that we call profane, are there not? You probably don't use such explicit language as profane in your head. And it depends on on who you are and where you grew up and what your particular cultural inclinations are. But not a single one of us in this room has got a heart that doesn't separate some person or group into a category labeled profane. So I'm here to tell you one thing. Knock it off. 
And y'all are here to tell me one thing. Knock it off. Say it. it I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Are you going to try? See, Cornelius was looked at as like the symbol of Roman authority, which if you were a Roman, that's cool. But if you were part of the large majority of the world that just lived under the thumb of Rome, if you were a part of the Jewish community, Cornelius wasn't a good guy. He might have done good things. But he represented everything that broke you. Everything that broke your family and your friends. Everything in your mind that was keeping the God of Israel from doing what the God of Israel had promised to liberate his people. But you know what God saw Cornelius as? an opportunity for the floodgates to open, an opportunity for God to do exactly what God had promised to do, not just to liberate Israel, but to liberate this world. God saw Cornelius as the gateway to the expansion and the fueling of the gospel movement all the way to the very ends of the earth. And so when we are feeding and fueling ourselves, and we are in turn feeding and fueling the mission of God through our church, we are fulfilling the mission of God in the world, the ancient mission that God had promised God's people would accomplish through the descendants of Abraham. That we would be the people who helped to restore the fundamental broken relationships of our world. And when we can do that, then we will be able to truly say that we have fulfilled the greatest command, that we have loved God with all of our hearts, and that we have loved our neighbors as ourselves. There's a, a song floating out there in the world of Christianity that I think says really all that needs to be said. And the bridge of it says, there's none too poor, too dirty, too broken, too naked, too stupid, or too drunken to be thrown outside of his love. If they can't be thrown outside of his love, they shouldn't be thrown outside of ours either. So let's go on and be a people, right? Be a church that engages that truth with everything that we have. And let's fuel this fire with whoever God sends to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Good and holy one, the determiner of what's clean and unclean, what's profane and not profane, Help us to see with your eyes. Give us your view of this world and of your people. Rearrange our hearts and our categories that we like to use to classify people as as worthy or unworthy. 
as clean or unclean, as worth our time or not worth our time, as brothers, sisters, siblings, or outsiders. God, help us to be like Peter and like Cornelius. Help us to to recognize your call. Help us to recognize when you're teaching us a, a new thing. Help us to hear from you, to be moved by your love and your grace towards all people. And then, Lord, help us to be persons who go wherever you have sent us. Whether it's just to the front door of our own church or whether it's out into this great big hurting world. We know that by the power of your spirit you can and you will give us the ability to transform lives. Now, while we wait patiently for you to come and to set all things right, let us live into the, the reality of our future. Where there's no more broken relationships, where violence ceases, where we walk humbly with you day in and day out. God, we love you. We thank you for who you've called us. Clean. In Jesus' name.